It's great to be here. Uh, no pressure, Tom. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, just, just a little less, Jim. Um, I tell you who's great to have here tonight, and that is Lila and Craig Massey, because they were youth leaders at Grace Baptist Church in Marysville when I was a youth, and. Uh, I don't remember uh, a lot of things that we did, but I can remember some times on the bus, uh, maybe a New Year's uh, all-night thing, and, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my, uh, my youth as related to camp, but uh, the ministry at Grace Baptist was part of that as well, and good to see you, and uh, the longer I live, the more blessed I am to see people living for the Lord long-term. Um, I appreciate, uh, appreciate that faithfulness. Um, it's good to be here at camp. This part is this camp place has been part of my life since I was in sixth grade. Uh, we moved to Marysville uh, about that time, and we started coming to camp here. And uh, you know, I, m- I made a friend that first year, Keith Cox, and I became friends that year. We're still friends. We still do business and ministry together, and uh, uh, great days. I tell you something that was really fun. Uh, for me, and, you know, I get to speak so I can say what I want. I, you have to indulge me. But uh, um, that's my family. Uh, Raul, it was leading singing, is my son-in-law. And uh, Steph, uh, his wife, uh, that's Stephanie there. And then uh, Molly introduced herself. Raise your hand, Molly, and her husband will be here later in the week. Uh, she's, there she is, yeah. Um, I tell you what's cool for me, and then my son Ben, he'll be here uh, in and out during the week. They just live over the hill in Woodenville. And what's really been fun for me is to see my kids love camp uh, and become involved with it. On the, prom- on the promotional piece for the race, Kimberly, where are, you, are, you, are you here? Did you, did you put those things together on purpose? You probably didn't even think about it. Uh, on the sponsorship, it says First Baptist Church of Ferndale. And right above it, it says Molly and Ben Photography. And right next to it, it says Ben Lunsford Real Estate. I thought, yeah, it's a family thing. We're all sponsoring here. That's awesome. That was awesome. Um, When I was coming here, the camp was less structured than it is now, certainly in terms of the staff. And after a couple of years of being a camper, when I came into junior high, I got to come and be on on the KP staff, the Kitchen Patrol which uh, we washed the dishes, set up, and took down from, from meals. And then when we weren't doing that, we were on our own with no supervision at all. It was awesome. And uh, one year, it was, it was Ross and Renee and me and a couple other people from Marysville, and we just had a great time. Uh, we'd go down after hours, turn the lights on at the pool and go swimming. We just had a great time. And then you know, they had to have rules and programs and all that stuff, you know, that they have now. But, but uh, I loved coming to camp. And one of the highlights of my camper life was the year that I came really close to having a girlfriend. Uh, close enough that we were going to sit together at the Friday night dinner, which used to be referred to as the banquet which, you know, probably really wasn't a banquet, but we called it that. Everybody got out their clean clothes, which was pretty new by Friday. That was really unusual. 
And so here's this girl, and uh, who will remain nameless because there are people in this room related to her. And she comes out in a clean dress, and I got some clean clothes on, and we sat on the, the bench under the apple tree. And, uh, you know, waiting for dinner to start, we're sitting there. And we weren't sitting there five minutes when the last strand of metal gave way and she went down into the puffy dirt and it went like Linus on peanuts and I went right on top of her. And that was the end of the romantic mood for that night. I loved the spiritual life that was preached and discussed Missionaries like John Schlinner in that day. Uh, I loved that. And every time the invitation was given, I felt conviction. But I don't think I ever went forward. I'd made a profession of faith to believe in Christ as a child. My dad was a pastor. And uh, one of his disciples was my Sunday school teacher. I made a profession of faith, and I, I, I knew the Lord, but things were not right in my spiritual life. And, and even at camp, I, I knew there was a longing in my soul that wasn't full. I wanted that, but somehow I just didn't get it. Even though I was raised in a pastor's home, and I went to church all the time, and I went to camp all the time, I enjoyed participating and I didn't mind some of the preaching, but honestly, I enjoyed high school more than I enjoyed Christianity. And it took me a while, it took me till my college years to finally figure out that there was nothing wrong with Christianity. There was just something wrong with the way I was living it. And I believe that what was missing in my Christian walk was the truth that I want to share with you this week from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. The message of this passage, which is just vital to our walk with the Lord, is this. The Christian life is a gift from God which only reaches its full potential through the dedicated effort of every Christian. The Christian life is a gift from God which only reaches its full potential. See, I didn't know, somehow I missed it. And I'm not criticizing my dad or the camp or anybody else. Maybe it was my own hard-heartedness. I didn't know I needed to grow. I didn't know how to grow. And I didn't know that the blessings of growth would be worth the cost of discipleship. And so tonight, I want to start in this passage. We're going to go from verses 1 through 11 this week, but we're just going to take it a little bit at a time. And from verse 1, I hope to help you understand this truth. The value of salvation necessitates growth in Christ-likeness. So we're going to look at this great passage, and I'm going to read it for you every night. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 
by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith knowledge, to knowledge of virtue, to virtue to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to the extent of blindness, and he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just want to look at verse 1 tonight, and really just one concept out of verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, like precious faith, Peter uses the word faith a couple of times in this passage, and he uses it as a synonym for salvation. He's not talking about faith like here is a command that you should believe on Christ. He's talking about faith as another name to apply to salvation. As such, it it might be referred to as the faith, the salvation that we have. And so I'm going to refer to it as salvation. And I want to look with you tonight at some reasons why salvation is precious. And the first one is this. Salvation is precious because it's eternal. Now, I'm well aware that most of what I'm going to say tonight is old news to a lot of you. I'm well aware of that. But that's part of our problem. Because the old news gets real familiar and we don't think about it much. And so I hope I can stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, as the scripture says. And I hope you will take a fresh look at these precious truths about salvation. Salvation is precious because it's eternal. During the earthly ministry of Christ, there were several times when Jesus made statements that were hard for the majority of his hearers to receive. And on one of those occasions, the scripture says this, From that time, after he made this really hard teaching, after he expressed this hard teaching, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Kind of of gives an interesting definition to disciple there. They stopped being disciples. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter had been with Jesus long enough to understand that he had a message about life in eternity in heaven, and nobody else had that message. That is the the, the most supreme value of our salvation. As we're going to see later in our study, salvation in Christ has the potential of complete life change here and now. Recently, I heard the testimony of a man who lived a wicked life, fighting, lying to his wife, committing adultery, drunkenness, internal strife in his life. And Christ has changed him into a sober, peaceful, humble, loving husband. And and we're going to talk about that potential and really try to understand it as we go through this passage. But the first 
and most important value of salvation is that it's about eternity spent in heaven with Christ. If you're here tonight and you really don't know what Christianity is about, I want to tell you more than anything, it's about knowing that you're going to heaven when you die. About knowing for certain, not hoping so, but knowing for certain. Jesus put it this way, let not your heart be troubled. You don't need to worry, you don't need to fret. If you believe in God, you should also believe in me. In my Father's house or in in heaven are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is the certainty that we have in Christ I've been in Ferndale about uh, 13 years this year. And before that, I was in Tukwila. And in Tukwila, I served the police department and fire department and, and uh, mostly doing crisis calls, mostly when people died. And, and about a third of the time, those people would ask me to do the funeral of their loved one. So I did funerals for a lot of people I didn't know and people that evidently, quite evidently, did not know the Lord. And I remember one time going up to Evergreen Washelli up there in your neighborhood, Tom, and and uh, I'm walking through the cemetery to go to this little graveside service, handful of people. They don't know the Lord. There's none of this hope. And I walked by some Russians. I walked by some Russians who were singing hymns. And I didn't know. I didn't know what the words were, but I knew I knew that that's what they were singing about. And I had to go over here and preach the gospel to, the, to those who were left and try to say, hey, there is still hope for you. But, boy, it was a hopeless time. Hey, friends, if you don't know it, the death rate is one. And it will come to you. And it will come to all of your loved ones. And there's only one way that I know of to be prepared. And there's only one way that I know of to have certainty. Oh, I know, I know there are some of you here who are, who are fighting hard against the reality of Christ and the reality of that certainty. You've got to ask yourself, why? <laughs> Man, I want to be certain. I want there to be singing at my funeral. You see, God not only tells us, Jesus not only says, there is eternity in your future, I am guaranteeing it. That's what he means here. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's saying, I, listen, I'm a truth teller. But look what else he does. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, when you believed in Christ as your Savior, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, it wasn't that many years ago that I came to understand this. The reason I am certain about heaven is not me. It's because of that ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm with other folks that are certain of their eternity... There is a connection there that comes through the Holy Spirit. Um, I would have had a picture of this. Well, 
part of it, you'll understand. But this was in the paper this morning. I just, I am astounded at how the world around us through the newspaper just shows us the reality or the foolishness of life outside of Christ. New Orleans, all last week, people, people were calling Louis Charbonnet to find out how they might avoid lying down at their funeral. Funeral directors have called, so, so have people with their own request, such as the woman who wanted to be seen for the last time standing over her cooking pot. Miriam Burbank. Uh, the call started coming into the Charbonnet Labatt funeral home during its June 12 viewing for Miriam Burbank, who died at age 53. And she spent her service during her funeral. She was sitting at a table amid miniature New York Saints helmets with a can of bush beer in one hand and a menthol cigarette between her fingers just as she had spent a good number of her living days. And it goes on and talks about this whole trend now to pose people for their viewing or for their funeral. Standing up, sitting down, a guy in a paramedic wagon, he was a paramedic, this and that, all kinds of things. Now here's the serious part. This is not fun or funny. The family is going through a lot of pain. With these kinds of arrangements, the family literally suffers less because they see their loved ones in a way that they would have made them happy. They see them in a way in which they still look alive. But they're not alive. And they aren't like that. They're somewhere else. How much better, how much better to face death like George Fujimoto? George Fujimoto was a, a member of my church. He was 90 years old when he got sick. And he went to the hospital for the first time ever when he was 90 years old. At like 88, he was leading the walks at the senior center and, you know, mowing his own lawn and so on. And, but he hit 90 and I don't know how many months and, and he got sick. And he went to the hospital and, and he died within weeks. Uh, his lungs just failed and, and he died. Went to see George in the hospital. George is there smiling and happy. This is the most wonderful place. He said, everybody is so solicitous here, he said. And, and he, you know, he, he went from the hospital to the hospice, and he thought that was a wonderful place. And I'm talking to him in the hospital, and, and he says, you know, I'm ready to go. Or if the Lord raises me up, I'm ready to stay. I'm at peace. And from the other side of the curtain in his room, we heard, I'm not at peace. That's the difference between knowing the Lord and not knowing the Lord. You can talk big about being ready to die. I'm telling you, you're not. And down in your heart, you know it until, until this is true. And when Peter writes this, Peter is an, is an older man. We don't know exactly how old, but he's threw his life away. And, and in verse 12, he's going to say, you know, I'm just about ready to go home. He, he's anticipating really becoming a martyr. He's toward the end of his ministry, and he says, isn't it great to know the Lord? 
He says, you people have like precious faith with me. And he just, he, he revels in that. The whole point of this book is he's writing to, to, to Christians to say, now realize what you have and guard what you have because people are going to come in and try to take it. And so he starts right off reveling in the, in the wonders of salvation. And first and foremost, the most precious thing about our salvation is that it's eternal. And I would say again, if you don't know that eternal salvation, it would be my pleasure or Tom's or one of the other believers here to talk with you about that tonight. But as if eternity isn't enough, salvation is also precious because it's compassionate. And nobody knew this better than Peter. When Peter says salvation is precious, he's talking as an expert. Peter was a passionate man. He, he was a guy who was all in. Whatever it was going on, you know, he was all in to, to whatever the situation. Unfortunately, his desire was often bigger than his real courage. He talked a good game, but it didn't quite come out that way, including he promised that he would go to the death with Christ. He said, if all of these other people, this is my wife, she knows exactly what I need and when I need it. Peter said, if all these other disciples fall away from you, I will not, I will go all the way to the death with you. And we know how that worked out, right? We know how that worked out. It worked out like this. After about an hour had passed, somebody else confidently said, Surely this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter said, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately he was still speaking. The rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's only recorded in Luke. He turned and looked right at him after the rooster crowed. How do you feel when that happens? Oh, man, you know, we, we use the phrase crawling under something. Peter, if everybody leaves you, I'll stay with you. Gee, what's really amazing is Jesus knew that was going to happen. As a father pities his children... So the Lord pities or has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So Jesus wasn't surprised when that happened to Peter. In one of the accounts, um, we even hear him saying, Peter, you're going to fall. But you know this as well from the end of the Gospel of John. After the resurrection, the disciples are out there fishing and Jesus goes out to meet them and and he makes breakfast for them. And after they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said, feed my lambs. Now, the, you know, we understand the different words that are used here and there and this and that. You know what's significant about this? Jesus didn't throw Peter away. That's what's significant. I knew a firefighter in an in a, in a organization that I served, and we'd gotten to be friends. He did not know the Lord, and I was trying to befriend him and get the opportunity to share the Lord with him. And it came to a day when he asked me to do something in the department. I said, would you do this? There was a problem in the organization, and he wanted me to address it. And I said, okay. 
And then I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I realized that's not my place. It was an organizational matter, not a can I help you as you work through things kind of a matter. And so I go back to him, and I said, friend, uh, I can't do it. It's not my place. And he said, I think people are going to look at you differently now. And that was the end of our friendship. No forgiveness, no restoration, no more, nothing. We're done. That's the way of the world. I understand that. But I am so thankful that that is not the way of God. (laughs) Peter valued his salvation because he experienced the compassion of understanding that led to forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness and restoration without limit. Peter said, this is precious stuff. Number three, salvation is precious. Oh, let's skip on here. Salvation is precious because it is transforming. And this is the, this is the big truth that we're really going to focus on um, in the middle section of this, of this passage But let's just look at one episode in Peter's life, another familiar one to you. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. You ever thought about what that sounded like? You know, 12 grown men screaming. You know know the commercial, uh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, screaming like a little girl, priceless, you know, whatever it is. Uh, um, Boy. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter, who's all in all the time, Lord, if it's you, command me to come walk to you on the water. And Peter, when he had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why? Why do you have to be this way? The tone of Peter's life was hot and cold. Even in the very presence of Jesus. It was hot and cold. Peter, during the life of Christ, now, if you don't quite understand theologically what I'm going to say, I'll explain it to you later, but Peter was an Old Testament believer. Because until Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and ascended, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, everybody was an Old Testament era believer. And that's what Peter was. And so because of that, he was highly subject to the weakness of the flesh. Because he was without the transforming power of the new birth. But that all changed when his salvation was completed on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit was given. On that day... The Holy Spirit was given. Peter stood up in front of a crowd of people and laid into them. And he said, you crucified Jesus. And at the end of that sermon, they were cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people were saved. Do you suppose everybody in that crowd was positive about the message? I don't think so. Did it stop Peter? No. You know, and my, well, my favorite verse is about verse 41, and it says, and with many other words. He, he, 
That sermon was not one chapter long. It was long, and he laid into them. What happened to the guy who was up and down, up and down? He stopped being up and down because he was transformed by God. And when Peter writes, you have received a like precious faith with me, an apostle, he's saying, I have been transformed, and you can be transformed. That's what he's going to write about in the rest of this passage. Man, that is precious stuff. The ability to be changed, and we're going to spend some some serious time on that tomorrow night. The ability to be changed is a precious, precious thing. (coughs) Number four, salvation is precious because it's costly. Look at verse one again. To those who have obtained a like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's entirely likely that Peter was there at the crucifixion. Now, I understand the scripture doesn't name him, but listen to this. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he's on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion, the Roman guard, saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And when And when Jesus, excuse me, and the whole crowd who came together, the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and then returned to the city. But all his acquaintances, all his acquaintances, and the women who followed him from Galilee, they all stood at a distance watching these things. I think it's entirely likely that all of the apostles were there. We know John is named. We know uh, Jesus' mother is specifically referred to. But all his acquaintances, who, who more than the apostles the, or the disciples? And so here's Peter at a distance watching Christ be crucified the day after he's denied him. Now, I don't think Peter still understood what was going on. I don't think that happened until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in. You know, Jesus had made that promise, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you're going to remember everything I've told you. And I think when the Holy Spirit came in and, and Peter got up to preach, he went, oh, now I get it. And I think he, in his mind's eye, looked back at the cross and realized that Christ had died for him. And he thought, wow, that is expensive. That's costly. Peter came to understand this truth by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He, God, made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We know that Christ was sinless, but Peter walked around with him for three years. Now, uh, raise your hand if you're from my church. Raise your hand. Am Am I sinless? (laughs) and the reason you know is because you walk with me from time to time i mean we're around each other peter was around jesus for three years and he came to understand wow this this guy i didn't understand fully who he was but he was sinless and perfect and god took my sin and heaped it onto him isaiah 53 says God put all of our sin onto him. And so Peter looked at that, and and he reveled in that. And and as he writes to these, these believers, he's saying, do you guys know how precious 
our faith is. He wrote it this way in 1 Peter, knowing that you were not redeemed. You were not bought out of the sin market with corruptible things or earthly things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You were redeemed with the precious, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus came to understand how precious, how valuable that was. Um, yesterday, two days ago, I don't know exactly the day, a couple guys were out hiking. One of them fell down. Some other guys went out to look for him. One of those guys fell down and died. He died trying to save or find another guy. Hmm. If somebody had said to that guy, today, you're going to go out to try to find that fella, and you're going to die. You're going to die trying. Without a doubt, you're going to die today looking for that guy. And by the way, that guy's already dead. Are you going? <laughs> He's not your relative. <laughs> That's a tough one, isn't it? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, God says our sin has separated us so far from God, we're like enemies. Uh, think of those folks on the other side of the world that keep making trouble for our country. You're going to die for them? You're going to go on purpose and die for them, not for us. Peter, Peter was there at the crucifixion. He was there with Christ for three years, and he said, He went to that cross for me. And he got it. He said, That, that is valuable. That is precious. The last reason that Peter thought uh, salvation was precious is this. It's, it's accessible. It's accessible. It's available. It's, it's gettable. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The most popular idea of how, some, how someone can enter heaven is by being a good person. Put it another way, most people believe you need to earn salvation by doing some kind of good works and being a good person. Now, it's not hard to conceive for our human minds to look of God looking down from heaven saying, prove to me why you belong here. It's not hard to conceive of that because that's the way we think. If we ran heaven, that's what it would be like. We'd say, prove it. Show me why I should let you in. Can you imagine Jesus at the gate of heaven and there's Peter. And Peter's going to walk up. Right? Is Peter going to stand there and go, I'm ready to come to heaven. No. And what Peter writes about here and the rest of the scripture, what it writes about is this. It's wonderful that that is not the basis of heaven. Salvation is precious because it's readily accessible. That's why it's called the faith. Because the way we enter salvation is by believing in what God did for us. 
the glorious truth is that God knows we're incapable. God knows we can't earn his favor. I don't know why in the world we, we want to set that system up, but we do, because we're proud. We are born with a bent toward sin, and it causes us to give way to temptation in early life. And then as a sinner, we can't give anything righteous to God. That's why God's requirement is such a blessing. The Apostle Paul, who, who lived a very religious life and did many things that would be called uh, religious or God things by his contemporaries, he said, this is what I want. I want to be found in God not having my own righteousness, which is from the law or trying to do deeds, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that's the real righteousness. Peter rejoiced to know that God didn't expect him to achieve salvation on his own. Rather, God asked him, and he asks us, to believe. We have a new restaurant in town in Ferndale, Dickies. Do you have those in the rest of Puget Sound? Yeah, do you? You got a few here and there. Okay, a few heads shaking. First one came to Linden. Hey, we got our passports out, and we drove to Linden to get Dickie's Barbecue. Our Dutch passports, that is. And, but now it's right here in Ferndale. And this is the, the cup they give you when you buy a drink. It's just one size fits all, one cup, there it is, boom. And, of course, uh, they want you to, tr- to make it your travel buddy so everybody sees Dickie's, you know. I haven't been to Dickie's a lot of times, but I've been there a few times. And when I'm done with the drink, the cup goes in the garbage. Now, I have been to the 7-Eleven, and I've been to the AMPM, and I've been down here to this uh, Shell Station. I don't know what that's called down there, what the name of it is, but I've been down there a few times and get plastic cups, plastic cups. And if I saved all the plastic cups of all the pop I've ever drank, my house would be on an episode of Hoarders. (laughs) And so after I drink it, boom, in the garbage. It is not precious. Our salvation is one of a kind. One of a kind. You can't, it's not a buffet. You can't go down the road and get another one. Oh, I know there's people that will sell you another one. But it ain't real. There's one precious faith. We live in a throwaway society, but our salvation isn't. And that's because there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. You could turn it this way and say, isn't it great that there's only one name, that I know that one name, that I have been saved Is your salvation precious to you tonight? If it is, if your salvation is precious to you, you're going to embrace the rest of this passage. If your salvation is just another one of these, you're really not going to be interested. Or if you don't have any salvation, I want to challenge you tonight, uh, perhaps as you uh, go to sleep, Perhaps as you get up in the morning to maybe read this verse, maybe read over these notes if you filled in those blanks and just say, thank you, God, for this incredibly precious salvation you've given me. Talk to God about it. Maybe salvation has become common to you. 
Maybe it's just one of many. And you need to really think that through. Heavenly Father, thank you for our precious salvation. Mm. Every time I... Every time I see one of our senior saints that's getting close to meeting you and I hear them talk with confidence about that day, that just blesses me and strengthens my certainty about you. Mm. I thank you for the preciousness of salvation. I thank you for the example of Peter, how you saved him, you changed him, you demonstrated what can happen in a life. And Father, I pray for every person here that if they if there's somebody here who doesn't know you that this week will be the week when they turn that corner and i pray that those who have lost sight of the value of their salvation will regain that tonight and perhaps regain it even more this week as we talk about all that you can do and want to do in us and through us thank you i pray in christ's name amen go ahead Ron.